Trigger warning. Please note that this episode contains discussions around suicide that some people may find disturbing. Our story today starts with Janice Makwana, an architect in Mumbai. Hi, I'm Janice Makwana, brother of Abhishek Makwana. I live in Kandivali, West Mumbai. Last month, Janice's family was struck by a terrible tragedy. His brother, Abhishek, died by suicide. It came as a huge shock to the family. Nobody was sure what exactly led to this. And then, almost immediately after Abhishek's death, Janice started getting phone calls from some unknown numbers seeking repayment for loans taken by Abhishek. So I was just, I mean, I just told them, like, give us a few days. My brother has just passed away a day before yesterday. And we need some time to mourn his dreams and... Uh, if you have any proof of him taking a loan from you, you please share with us and we'll repay the loan to you. But unfortunately, they were not ready to listen. They started abusing immediately. I mean, the language was not professional. Janice tells us that the calls kept coming and it soon escalated. That kind of a language they've used, the wording they've used, the threatening they've given to us, not only to me, but my mother, my family. And there was no just ready to listen. Nothing seemed to make the calls stop. I'm telling them he's expired, he's expired, but they started abusing him as well. So Janice realized that something was amiss. These callers didn't sound like collection agents from a bank. So he decided to access his late brother's email and phone to see if he could find something. So I found that in the last few days before he died, in his account, Per day, there were some 15, 20, 30, 45 transactions, only of credit. So those I got to know from his own bank account alerts, like when you get uh, some debit or credit in your account, your bank sends you the email, right? Janice found some emails with details about loans being sanctioned, but not for all transactions. Also, it's not that easy to get a loan, certainly not dozens of them in a day. And that's when he figured it out. So that clicked my mind, like something is not right here, something is fishy here. So I further drilled down and I realized that some of the transaction has been confirmed by the people who gave him the loan, those apps. Did you catch that? Janice found out that his brother Abhishek was receiving loans, not from a bank, but from mobile apps on his phone. Download an app, take a loan, rack up a huge interest, Download another app to repay that loan, then another and another. Until things went too far. Abhishek isn't the only person who's fallen into this trap. Hello and welcome to Unofficial Sources, a business podcast by The Ken. Each fortnight, we take India's most significant business and tech stories and strip away all complexity, spin and PR and add unbiased analysis, simplicity and wit. I'm Anushka Chikara. I'm Alana Banerjee. And we're your hosts. Every episode, we'll be joined by trusted and experienced writers and editors of The Ken, India's first and leading subscribers-only business publication. The result is business stories and conversations that are both insightful and fun. However, today's episode is not fun per se. 
In today's episode, we're going to talk about how a rising demand for credit and multiple policy loopholes have given rise to companies that prey on people who seek loans to quite tragic ends, all using an app on a phone screen. So I don't know about you, Olna, but I don't have much personal experience with loans. Have you ever taken a loan out? I actually have never taken a loan out. Yeah, and I mean, I think for us at least, it's a combination of privilege and circumstance that we've never had to do that. And, you know, go into a bank and try to take out a loan and the reams of paperwork that come along with it. Yeah, the image finally that I have about taking out a loan is it's me sitting across from a bank teller and him telling me I have really bad credit and I'm so undeserving of this loan. So <laughs> it's like they do in American movies to scare people. So that, that's the image I have about taking a loan out. And that's probably why I never did it. Yeah, but you know, the kind of lending services we're talking about today are quite different. They don't work the way we think about conventional loans from a bank. And they definitely don't come along with any of the imagery that comes to our mind when we talk about loans and banks. These are loan apps, shady and seemingly illegal loan apps. And one thing we know about apps is that if there's a need for something on this planet, there's an app for it. But who do these apps cater to? Who are the people on their smartphones using these apps to take on loans? And why are they doing it? To help answer some of these questions, I decided to turn to Arundhati. Hey, I'm Arundhati and I write about fintech for the Ken. Arundhati is being modest. She is actually one of the best fintech reporters in the country. And she's been following this story on shady loan apps for the last few weeks. Hi, Arundhati. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Anushka. Arundhati is also the person who reported the story. So, Arundhati, can you give us a general sense of what kind of people take loans using these kind of mobile apps? Who are they exactly? Like, is there probably a specific demographic that you can tell us about? There isn't a specific demographic that I can give you, but it is important to understand how these loan apps work. So typically, people apply for uh, bite-sized loans for about, you know, 3,000 to 10,000 rupees, and the repayment period is in about a week or two. They need this money quickly, and, you know, they can't wait to go to a bank and apply for such loans because, A, a bank is not even going to entertain such small loan amounts, right? Hmm. So there is a kind of a selection bias when it comes to the kind of people who end up applying for this loan. Hmm. The common thing is people who turn to these kind of loan apps are both desperate and vulnerable. So once Arundhati told us about who downloads and uses these apps, Olina and I decided to take a look at it for ourselves. Are you doing it? Are you on your phone? Are you doing it right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just doing it. I'm just going to go to Play Store and I'm going to type in loans. So I'm, I'm doing it. Yeah, I'm doing the same on the App Store on the iPhone. Okay. Whoa. Okay. So let me read out to you all the names that have popped up. And let me tell you, there are a lot. Right. Hmm, so, hmm. And, and tell me if you see any of these on your screen. Um, there's Rapid Pesa. Little Cash, Credit Z, Payhatch, Cashfin, JC Flash, My Show Life, Money. Okay, 
like I do not see any of those. Like, okay, so the kind of apps I'm seeing is a money tracker, um, an income and expense tracker, money, budget and finance, a CV template, loan and lease calculator. Um, but there is not any kind of loan lending app on mine per se. That's really weird that like you don't see you have rupee. No, <laughs> I mean, I definitely don't. But I think, you know, like, I, I think it's pretty obvious, you know, like this is like a perfect example to illustrate the difference between the Google Play Store and the iPhone App Store. Absolutely. I think for Google Play Store, it's kind of like the wild west of apps and almost anybody gets approved there. But Apple is a bit more strict. I mean, a lot more strict and stringent with the kind of apps it allows on it. But, you know, like, I didn't even know that you could type in loans into the app store and find an app for it. Like, am I the only one who was included in on this? Like, how do people even know or find out about apps like this? No, I, I don't think you're alone. I mean, this this is a revelation to me as well. I mean, this was the first time I typed in loans into my Google Play Store. But I'd I, hope so. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, interestingly, uh, Anushka, in, in Arundhati's report, right, uh, uh, what's what's surprising is that app stores or specifically Play Store isn't the only place where people encounter these online loans. I mean, there are a lot of other ways they find them. The second character in our story is Ved Prakash. He's a 33-year-old who works in an IT company. Ved had a medical emergency recently for which he needed 10,000 rupees. But his salary is fairly modest and earning 20,000 a month means that it was nearly impossible to get a loan for, for almost half his salary. Moreover, no bank would really indulge customers with such small loans. Ved lives in a small house with his family in Mumbai. When we called him, Ved's kid was just about getting into his online class. You can hear his family in the background. I saw this ad on Facebook where you can find it on the home screen. When you scroll the Facebook, there is one page called advertisement page. So in on advertisement page, I have found this online lending app applications. After seeing the ad, I just apply for the loan. I just download the app from the Play Store. And after downloading the app from the Play Store, it only requires Aadhaar card and PAN card. Wade was glad that the loan was sanctioned in a matter of minutes. But there was a catch. After downloading Aadhaar card and PAN card, you have to give all the access uh, to the app so that the application can be downloaded. If you deny one application, the app will not be get downloaded. And after giving all the permission, they require your SMS, access, contact, book, location, images, everything. Denying one permission means the app could not be downloaded. After accepting the all terms and conditions of the applications, I got a loan approval within a minute an amounting of rupees 3000 after i took the loan i didn't have any communication with anybody from the company but the calls started coming when the repayment date is begun and if the loan was due so they threatened me to block my pan card if i didn't pay the amount on time and exact time what they have been given at 11 am This seems similar to the behavior of loan sharks, 
But in an online space, collection agents can't show up at your doorstep and demand for you to make a payment. So they threaten to block your PAN card. How can they even do that? And when we say they, who are these people? So Arundhati, I understand what happens after you download one of these apps, but tell me a bit about the companies that are behind these apps who build them. So when I was reporting on the story, I spoke with a researcher who analyzed close to a thousand instant loan apps in November. And he Mm. found that about 80% of these apps had some kind of a Chinese link. They were either using cloud services from companies like Alibaba or Baidu, or were contracting some of these Chinese companies to make those apps in India. And these are operations spearheaded by Chinese nationals. Okay, so tell me a bit about one of these companies. One such company that we should be looking at is uh, Liufang Technologies. It's a company registered in Ijipura in Bengaluru. So I decided that, why don't I go and visit the address where they're registered? Hmm. So it was this plain looking three-story building in Ijipura in Bengaluru. If you know Ijipura, it's the super congested part of Bangalore. And uh, it took me a while to locate the center because even companies that were right next to this building couldn't point out to this address. So it was that nondescript. Hmm. And when I did reach the address, it was funny because Liu Fang was right above HDFC Bank, which is one (laughs) of India's most renowned banks, right? Yeah. And when I went to the first floor of the office, I found that it was locked and there was no signboard. People hadn't heard of this company. So I'm not sure if it even had operations there. But what the police did find when they arrested some of the employees of Liu Fang was that... They had a huge 2,000-member call center in Gurgaon where they had a setup to have collection agents call up borrowers who are behind on their payments. Hmm. This is just a one-year-old company, but it had recorded over 14 million transactions through which it received around 8,600 crore in its four ICICI bank accounts. So you'd wonder how a Chinese-run company was able to open four ICICI bank accounts in India, right? That's because they recruit locally. For instance, Liu Fang recruited an MBA graduate from the South Indian city of Karnul in Andhra Pradesh. It hired him in the position of a HR manager. So he was the person who went around opening bank accounts and then promptly handed over the net banking ID and password to his bosses in China who then handled the entire operations. 8,600 crores? Um, Okay, Olina, so I know that's a huge number, obviously, but I generally find it hard to conceptualize big numbers. Can you give me and maybe anybody else who has this as well listening an idea of how much 8,600 crore rupees is actually worth? So Anushka, let's put that number into perspective. If you had 8,600 crores, you could possibly buy two Boeing 777 aircrafts. Okay, that, I mean, even I know that is really expensive. So that's a lot of money. And on top of that, to think that this amount is made up of granular amounts of 3,000 rupees, 5,000 rupees and the like of how people actually lend on these apps. Right. It's like a snowball effect. Hmm. 
I think at this point, you might be thinking what I'm thinking. These loan apps are not only shady, but they sound straight up illegal. It seems strange then that these apps are operating so openly, not just through the app stores, but also on social media. So these apps have no legal status of their own. They rely on NBFCs completely. In India, only NBFCs and banks are allowed to lend, right? And NBFCs have a lending license. So these apps simply partner with NBFCs and ride on them like some kind of a license candy. But what you notice about these illegal apps is that they try to take complete control of the NBFC. That's what we saw with Liu Fang, because Liu Fang had partnered with this NBFC called Aglo, right? And Aglo Fintrade was an NBFC with very questionable credentials because it was in the list of companies wanted for violating some of RBI's guidelines. So these companies operate on the fringes of what is legal and they end up finding loopholes out of what is mandated by RBI. And when they find out, how do they eventually get taken down? This is mostly either through consumer complaints, if Google is noticing, or when police takes notice and someone files an FIR because of the harassment meted out to uh, the borrowers. So by now, this harassment by these loan apps has really taken many different forms. For some people, it's incessant calls. For others, these loan app companies tap into contact lists on their smartphones and even call up family members and friends to double down on the pressure. Remember how Wade told us he had to give up access to his contact book? Well, that's what these apps use them for once it's payback time. In comparison, Wade is one of the more fortunate ones. In the state of Telangana, there were at least three cases of death by suicide all due to alleged harassment over repayment of loans taken through mobile apps. This even caught the attention of the Telangana police, who conducted arrests and put out a statement encouraging borrowers to report any harassment by these apps. Google, on its part, takes down apps based on the description of it and also on customer complaints. However, even after the apps are pulled down, another one simply pops up, under the same company, but with a slightly different face. It's actually an unending game of whack-a-mole for the authorities. But meanwhile, for a lot of people, the damage is already done. Remember Jenis, the voice right at the top of the podcast? Well, he's someone for who the damage was irreversible. But then they don't realize that these people started harassing you, blackmailing you, on the name of family and the friends and on your career because they will spread all false allegations in all your contact list then i mean person has nowhere to go i mean the person who's been working so hard been living life they're having their own ups and downs they're having their own challenges of life and more on top of that you are harassing like this on daily basis since nine, since morning seven six o'clock you start calling that person till midnight three o'clock i mean what person would go through I mean, I mean, every two minutes you are calling, every one minute you are calling. Hundreds and 500 calls a day is not a joke. And that is, I mean, not only for one, two days. It has been happening for the last so many months. There has to be a limit to it, right? And I mean, moreover that, my brother also went to police station during Diwali time. 
with his friend. Unfortunately, friend didn't took him inside. He left him outside because he has some work. And my brother went alone inside. He requested that I am getting harassed like this. But then police told that uh, uh, that after loan lier dena padega. Maybe my brother didn't able to make them understand in detail. Or maybe police also try to understand in detail because they were not aware about all this thing. I don't know what is happening there. So this is where all this started, and this is what I found from the email. And then when I able to open his mobile phone with some uh, pin code which I able to uh, retrieve, I realized that he has reset his entire phone on the 26th night. 27th morning he committed suicide, and 26th night he reset reset the phone because he didn't wanted his family to suffer. He didn't wanted somebody to contact his family through his phone. So Arundhati. you've told us about how these predatory lending apps work and the painful journey of people like Ved and Jenis who are affected by it you know the sense i'm getting is their practices are obviously illegal and they've even gotten police attention but clearly there's still hundreds of apps like these just floating around i just wanted to ask you know what do you think is there an end in sight it's difficult to get rid of these apps completely because there is no regulation for those who end up sourcing these loans these companies end up operating like an nbfc though they don't have the license to operate as one because of the loopholes that we discussed also here google has enforced a rule which is practically unenforceable so as long as there are enough borrowers who are desperate and the instant loan hamster wheel kind of continues to spin you know there's really no stopping these apps we'll be back right after this short break if you like that story you can access a longer more in-depth version on the ken's website and app there are a lot more twists and turns to be discovered and every ken story comes with its own set of very cool graphics designed completely in house when you subscribe to the ken you get access to over 1000 original deeply reported business stories our daily newsletter beyond the first order and our weekly digest the nut graph all for a very reasonable 250 rupees a month to subscribe you can visit the hyphenken.com or click the link in our show notes hi welcome back i hope you like the story in the first segment of our episode i'd love for you to share your thoughts tweet it out to us at the ken web on twitter So for the second segment given that we're in the year 2021 which looks like the year of the vaccine we thought we'd check in on India's vaccine preparedness and how things will unfold over the year instead of a regular story and narrative a few of us here at the ken got together to discuss the covid vaccines and how soon india will get vaccinated i should also mention the following audio was recorded live in a studio where we followed suitable social distancing norms so first joining me is seema the editor of the ken seema is an expert in healthcare she's been a journalist for over 20 years and wrote a popular book about biocon the healthcare giant called mythbreaker kiran mazumdar shaw and the story of indian biotech hi seema Hi Anushka. I um get that you have a lot of views for the segment of the podcast so we're excited to hear your expert opinion. Absolutely. It's not expert but yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, next, we have Rohan. Um, so Rohan's here for two reasons. First, because Rohan is the co-founder of the Ken, and has also been a journalist for a pretty long time. The second is because Rohan is skeptical about things, but especially about big popular things. Hi, Rohan. Hi, Anushka. So, as I know from personal experience, you don't have WhatsApp specifically for this reason. Yes, I do not have WhatsApp. I do not use any Facebook product. Okay. Okay. I see. I have strong principles. You see. Okay. Yeah. We we'll see how those principles come through in our discussion. And uh, next we have Praveen, aka PGK. Um, he's the head of product at the Ken, but has written several times about vaccines in our weekend newsletter, The Nutgraph. Hi, PGK. Hi. I must also stress that I know nothing about vaccines or healthcare, but I just Google very very well. Okay, fair you enough. You should join the government committee on vaccines then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's just dive straight into the question for today. So we're recording on Friday, eighth of January, and just today the Union Health Minister Harsh Vardhan announced that the first set of vaccines for COVID nineteen will be available to Indians in a few days. This is after weeks of dry runs for administering the vaccine across the country. So to kind of recap, a dry run was carried out in eight districts on December 28th to 29th, and the first countrywide drill was held on January 2nd. Today, a mock drill will be conducted in as many as 33 states in the second round of the nationwide dry run. In fact, by the time you listen to this, it's likely that some Indians would have already received the vaccine, mostly healthcare workers or senior citizens. So again, my question to the panel is this: According to you, how many Indians will be vaccinated by the end of 2021? Imagine we're one year into the future, that is January 2022, and out of a billion people in this country, how many would have received the vaccine by now? So why don't we start off with Who Rohan? Start. Can I? Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to Rohan's start. Rohan's always eager. I have eager. a very exact um, estimate, and it's three hundred and thirty-three million people. Okay. How how is that? Well, um, I had to do some extremely complex calculations. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kidding. Yeah. It's roughly a third of a billion, yeah. and um, why I say a third is because I think the government um, and regulators have been on record saying that they prom- plan to vaccinate about. 300 million Indians by September, mm-hmm. which is essentially frontline workers and um, elderly Indians or those with comorbidities, etc. So uh, 300 million by September, which leaves another three months, right? And plus, so I don't know. I mean, like best laid plans for the Indian government. So maybe another 33 million. So somewhere around that. I I don't see we're going to overshoot that target much. Okay. I actually think that the number is going to be way higher. I think the number is going to be close to five hundred to six hundred million. Okay, that's almost double. That's almost double. Yeah. So I, I must preface this by saying I that Praveen is a vaccine national. <laughs> I must preface this by saying huh. that by no estimates of the government or any optimistic estimate, nothing says that will be more than maybe two hundred million, three hundred million, something like that. But the reason why I think it'll be really high is because um, the Indian government does a very good job of putting significant leverage. And right now, everyone knows that a big percentage of the vaccines that is going to be manufactured for global supply is going to be manufactured in India, uh, particularly by. Uh, Serum Institute of India in Pune, and I think that as the time goes by, especially in 2021, while we see that other countries have started vaccinating 
their population the indian government is going to lean on some of these companies and try to extract more vaccines out of them and so i think we'll all be having a vaccine so by january 2021 sorry by january 2022 we'll all be here happy and vaccinated may i remind my esteemed colleague the question was not how many doses will be produced <laughs> but how many yeah. will be administered in the year you you may laugh but we will yeah, all so just, be vaccinated just as we saw uh, you know that vaccines are getting into phase 3 and we had like sudden approval for two vaccines even though they were not ready for for approval my fear is that you know uh, i mean fear in the sense like i wanted to be proven wrong but my fear is that we'll have far more challenges in the implementation of it okay uh, and while we've had dry runs and all but it's it's going to be it's going to be very tough so we may produce doses uh, and bharat biotech has already come and said that they'll produce 700 million doses by mid next year that's yeah. a lot of uh, mm. you know vaccine but it it boils down to because we have a lot of interstate uh, you know yeah does anyone have an idea of what's the fastest like you know application of vaccines around the world i think it's roughly a million a week right uh, was it yes. the us or like you know was it you know israel israel has been the fastest yeah. yes and i think they're like a million a week right hmm. so let's just calculate there are 52 weeks in a year yeah right so what india is going to do you I mean, cannot sure. extrapolate uh, I'm not, israel I'm, i'm not saying it's exact because right you were, because israel is divided into four hmos and they compete and you know they are already sure, organized and you know so what we do. might do 4 million a week 5 million 10 million a week according to praveen's estimates we're going to do about 10 million a week let, let right me, which is 500 mil, roughly 520 million yeah. let me point out that uh, the ken published a story around a couple of months back where we were estimating how long it would take for vaccines to get into india and at that point in time we also said that we don't need everybody in india to be vaccinated we only need 60% whoa, whoa, of whoa whoa goal posts are being shifted <laughs> no, no 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 so that so i have i have actual uh, you know uh, the country's senior most virologist just said this yesterday that as of december uh 35 plus 15% almost 50% of indians have herd immunity and by march so if september saw a peak of the pandemic by march we'll see the valley okay okay so let's just take a step back um something that you know important was pointed out that there's a difference between um the number the doses that are administered and what is produced and seema you said that you know there could be a lot of complications with the implementation of this So can you like you know maybe give us a little bit of an idea of what you see those problems being the production the storage the distribution the cold chain the application i mean where does no so not not in that i don't see a problem in the production i don't see in storage because the two vaccines that you have uh, serum which is a fairly standard vaccine bharat mm. biotech vaccine is even more standard because the platform is very proven so uh, and we have like polio and a whole lot of other vaccines produced on that platform so we know how to administer that how to transport it and all that but the sheer volume of you know vaccination you know the number of people that need to be vaccinated we have a brand new electronic uh, system uh, where it's driven by app and people have to all that has not been tested so mm. you don't know where in the value chain you'll face a problem 
Plus, there's never been a time where an entire country's population needs to get two vaccines on exactly. such a schedule, right? Normally, mm-hmm. you you know, kids get a vaccine and then you come back in six months, three months, get another vaccine. But I don't expect that to happen in India anytime soon. I actually think what's going to happen is we're going to have multiple types of people going for different types of vaccines. So you'll have a elite set of people walking into advanced hospitals and sitting down in air-conditioned rooms and getting like vaccines that are internationally made that they really trust. They are anti-vaccine nationals. Yes. Alan, (laughs) you have a bunch of other people who will just like walk to the local health place and just like get the vaccine that the government says that they should get. Right. So speaking of different vaccines, right, Seema, you did some research on stock prices of companies associated with vaccines. So what did you learn from this? I know that you're kind of on the COVID news all all around every day. So share some insight with us. You know, my uh, the most uh, amusing thing in this whole thing, especially in India, the last few weeks that we've seen, uh, you know, the fight between Bharat Biotech and Serum, both are not listed. Hmm. They are private companies. Uh, imagine if they were listed companies, then you can see the seesaw in the share price that would have happened. Like, you know, one day one is, you know, has a... Uh, you know, has an edge in the other, the other day. The, the other company has some sort of dirt on the other company. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's, and it's not like just uh, sort of... It's very know, interesting, Seema. Do you think it would make a difference if they were listed? Would they have more of a fiduciary responsibility to disclose more data had they mm-hmm. been listed as opposed to them being private? And how big an impact do you think it might have? Yeah, so more than fiduciary responsibility, they would have been in general more responsible in coming out and speaking on social media. Like we've seen with Serum CEO, uh, Bharat Biotech CEO is not on Twitter, but he had a very, very fiery press conference rebutting, uh, you know, all all the cases. But uh, pharma companies, so there is one vaccine company which is listed, Zydus Cadilla, and you don't hear about them, right? One is, of course, that... Vaccine is not their forte. Uh, It's less than 2% of their 6,000 plus crore of revenue. So it's a very small segment, but they nevertheless have a vaccine which will probably enter the market in next few months. So, but they have a a nice sort of uptick in their stocks. Uh, Pharma in general has a very uh, sort of, you know, is is on a real high. Healthcare index is up 1,000 points. So unfortunately... I don't do stocks. So perhaps, yeah. yeah. We're journalists. We don't have the money to do stocks. Yeah, but you should start. Clearly, you know something about this. Even if you don't do stocks, Seema, I have no compunctions of doing stocks. So you can just... No, I don't run an advisory. And I say this up front. Thank God for that. We never take financial (laughs) advice from us journalists. We're very bad at it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what? Like, let's just like get a gut check now to kind of wind up. We started with what are what number we think um, of Indians will be vaccinated by next year. Rohan said one third, three hundred thirty-three million. Praveen's a bit more optimistic, um, almost double. And I'm very optimistic. He's yeah, and Seema is a little more moderate, I'd say, between the two. So why don't you guys tell me what you think now? Like, what is your final answer that you're going to look back at a year later? Still sticking with three hundred and thirty-three. Which is okay. very exact. It's a okay. very good number. Okay. Let's note Rohin's confidence and see where that goes in a year. You will 
all be crying one year from now when we are all vaccinated your parents are vaccinated Wait, your kids what? are vaccinated everybody is going to be vaccinated at that point in time you will why regret why will people be crying after getting vaccinated you, you will be regretting not taking this bet i'm going to stand by my number 550 to 600 million indians will be vaccinated by early 2021 okay and seema early 21 Oh, sorry, early 2022. Are we allowed to yeah. place wages? No, we are. <laughs> this, clearly, I need to fix my calendar. No, early 2022. One year okay. from now, 600 million Indians will be vaccinated. Maybe more, but they won't know about it. Yeah, oh, because they okay. have Conspiracy got herd immunity. Theory. Yeah, okay. And Seema, what about you? My bet is uh, not on numbers, but I would uh, tend to, you know, agree with uh, PGK on that. But uh, I would bet that there'll be many, many types of vaccines in the market by hmm. mid 2021. See, okay. I would say that's the mark of a true professional. Like the people who have the right. most knowledge are most hesitant to give out numbers, right? right? Yeah. But that does not mean I do not have knowledge. I have lots of knowledge. So yeah, on that note, let's just wrap this up. And uh, I'm excited to, you know, join you guys a year later and figure this out. So thank you guys for being here and Thank you Anushka. It's thank nice you Anushka. Here. Thank you Anushka. This was really fun. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll see you guys next time on Unofficial Sources. Each episode released fortnightly. Bye.